So today we're going to be talking about uh, anger. Once again, continuing our series on the heart of anger. Last week we looked at repenting of covert anger, right? Um, covert anger, which is that kind of anger that's underneath the, the, underneath the level. That anger that's usually bitterness, coldness, indifference. That kind of anger where in a lot of times that kind of overt sinful anger, it kind of exists in forms of you retreat to a separate place. You avoid the person. That, but you know you're there in that root of bitterness because you can't stand the person. You despise them. You're constantly regurgitating in your mind what they've done against you, replaying it over and over to a kind of satisfaction that's a simple satisfaction to the soul. We call that unforgiveness. Now this week we're going to look at what's called revealing or overt anger, right? Stuff that kind of comes right up to the surface, right? It explodes. So there's those are the kind of two types. Now a person can show both types of sinful anger, the overt, uh, covert, or just the actual revealing or overt kind of anger. Both can be there, but sometimes it, we often would describe a person who's walking in sinful anger as only blowing up. But man, you can actually be very covert as well. In fact, we talked last week about the idea, if you've ever been in any kind of relationship and you're in a relationship, you're in a marriage, or it's, it's with your children or kids or, or family members, but someone you're close to, and when they're walking in this kind of covert anger, you know something's wrong because you can watch the patterns of how they're acting, and you'll say something like, hey, what's wrong? To which, if a person's walking in sinful anger, what would they probably respond with? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Right? That's an example. So go back and listen to that. We looked at that. Now this week we're going to look at what we would call more the overt anger, revealing anger. We're going to be turning to several places in the Bible. Hopefully you're okay with that. Y'all okay with opening the Bible up? You okay with that? Good. If we're not, if we weren't okay with it, then we should just give up right now. All right. We need God's word. Ephesians. Go back over to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to be turning through some different scriptures, looking at this. So my job today is I want to. I want you to understand what revealing or overt anger, sinful anger looks like. And then we'll look at some solutions, uh, similar solutions of what we saw with overt anger. So if you look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, we see the manifestations of sinful anger. This is one place. It says, let all bitterness and anger. I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. Let all bitterness and anger. And I would say those two really are describing this overt, covert kind of anger we talked about last week. Then you get to verse 31. And wrath, shouting, slander, be put away from you along with all malice. We're going to talk about what each of those means here in just a little bit. Go over to Colossians chapter 3. I want to show you another parallel list, but it adds another word on there. Chapter 3, verse 8. Now, this is Colossians chapter 3. Just turn, just turn over. Two books, and you'll see over here, Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Now, but now you also lay them all aside. And it talks about different types of sinful anger. Wrath, anger, same words mentioned in Ephesians 4. Malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. These are great words to describe manifestations of sinful anger, and we'll take a look at it. But I do want you to understand, as we get into this, 
God does not wink at manifestations of sinful anger. Now, if you're new to this series, let me just give you a basic background, the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Righteous anger is I'm angry about something done to God or somebody else, and I have a righteous response, right? That's, and we've talked about that about two or three messages before. Sinful anger is I'm really upset with something done to me. When I track down the idea of why am I so angry in this moment, it's are you you're angry about something done to you. Someone has offended your kingdom, our kingdom. The majority of the time, most of our anger centers on sinful anger. There is a righteous anger. We spent some time on that already. But now we're really talking about sinful anger. And today, really, this kind of revealing overt sinful anger. Now, the Bible is over and over uh, warns against this. The book of Proverbs, I think, is a beautiful book uh, that talks a lot about this subject matter. I'm going to read several Proverbs. You won't have probably time to turn to it. But I'm just going to kind of uh, quote several Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 13. The snare of an evil man is in the transgression of his lips. I'm just telling you, the Word of God does not speak well to sinful anger that gets to the revealing point. Right? The overt point. Proverbs twelve sixteen, An arrogant fool, an arrogant fool's anger is known at once. We need, it's easy to see. Right? Proverbs twelve eighteen, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So this proverb is saying that there's someone who speaks such a way that their words are meant to cut. There's someone who speaks and there at once you can know that they're an angry fool. There's someone who, who when they speak, sin comes out of their lips. This is talking about the kind of revealing overt anger. Proverbs fourteen seventeen, A quick tempered man acts in folly. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine, He who is quick temper raises up folly. I mean, a person who is quick to speak, quick to be overt in their anger, quick to speak up. And just so you know, in the scriptures, how do you really a lot of times see this revealing overt anger? A lot of times it's through the mouth, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times we think it's just a person who brawls with their fists, but really the mouth is the huge one. Proverbs. Now, here's also something interesting, and I'm not trying to pick on um, any particular gender. Um, by the way, I get accused all the time. Here's what happens. I get accused on Mother's Day that always preach these really nice, sweet messages like, oh, everybody loves your mom. And then we get to Father's Day and I just like go hard on the men of like, do better, you know, get your act together and stuff. So I'm going to be an equal opportunity here today, right? What's interesting is Proverbs not only warns against a man being angry, but it simply angry, but it also warns against a woman even has a unique ability. In fact, she has ability to even use her own language to be very high on the Richter scale of sinful anger. Let me read for you. It may sound comical, so there's maybe some comedy to it, but it's actually true. It is better to live in the corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And that kind of like, yeah, I get it. You know, one translation that's not a, a literal translation says it's better to dwell in your attic. You know, that, not a good translation than with a angry and contentious woman. But Proverbs is making this point that there, there, there actually can be, even, even a woman can get to a point of such sinful anger that is contention. Proverbs 27, 15 through 16. Um, 
Actually, I'll read Proverbs 25, 28. It says this. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man without restraint over his spirit. Let me read for you Proverbs 27. I actually wanted you to look, put your eyes on this. So hold your place. You actually can look at this proverb. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verse 15 through 16. A constant dripping, this is Proverbs 27, 15. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain. Have you ever had like a drip in the house just kind of go and it's just like, this is annoying. This is, there is no way I'm going to make it through this thing. We've got to, this has got to stop. A constant dripping on a day a steady rain, kind of like a leaks in your roof. Uh, there's a leak in your roof, and a contentious woman are like right. Where's this constant dripping, constant berating, constant, um, a, um, a constant using of the tongue to get what one wants. Verse sixteen: He who would restrain her restrains the wind. Kind of being like, man, it, it can get so out of control. It's kind of like controlling the wind, and and grass oil. And grasps, grasps oil with the right hand. So even Proverbs is mentioning that men, as well as women, can be prone to sinful anger in such a way that it is a terribly disturbing, almost uncontrollable thing. Do this. Look over at James. Go to James. And in James chapter 3, this is how powerful the tongue is. And what's really great about the Word of God, it paints a picture of how sinful anger works. And the tongue is so powerful. Now, I can tell you this, and, and which, by the way, feel free to joke around about, like, you know, better to dwell on the rooftop with an angry and contentious woman, or, you know, it's just like a, a, you know, a faucet leaking. Um, I would probably not encourage you that in the next time there's some tiff in the house to just be like, I wish I could turn the faucet off or something like that. Don't do those kind of things. That might not be good in the moment. <laughs> James chapter 3 was very interesting. Look in chapter 3, verse 1. I want to read a couple verses, actually verse 12, through verse 12. Do not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. Verse 2, for we all stumble. This is James chapter 3 in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Just saying, you put the bit in the horse's mouth, you can control the rest of the body. He says, verse 4, Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot wills. So he just says, you can control big boats just with something small. You can control a big horse just with something small. Verse 15, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold now, how great a forest is set aflame with such a fire. E- meaning, even a big forest fire starts with something very small. That's how powerful the tongue is. It says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire. The very world of unrighteousness, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our existence and is set on fire by hell. The tongue... Overt, sinful, manifesting, revealing anger on the outside. A lot of times it can be observed through the tongue. 
And I will tell you this, it is destructive. It's a wildfire. Proverbs warns of its destruction and any kind of relationship. Keep looking at verse 7. For every kind of beast and birds, of reptiles, of creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Yet no one can tame the tongue. Can I get amen? Man. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is convicting verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who've been made in the image of God. When we, when we, when we um, use our tongues for sinful anger, we are blaspheming God because we are blaspheming those made in His image. Verse 10. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings, my brothers... These things ought not so to be. Does a fountain pour forth from the same opening fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives or, or, or vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh? The point he's trying to get is what comes out of your mouth is really a direct result of your heart. And what comes out of your mouth has hellfire ability in life. And revealing anger, when you look in the scriptures, a lot of times you can be observed just by the very words that we say. And, and the sinful heart and the mouth that is not given over in obedience to Jesus, it, it, it actually is equal opportunity. It goes both ways. It can be a man. It can be a woman. It can be just about anybody. Once a person learns to talk, there is so much damage. Now, there's this thing that people, the saying goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? It'll never hurt me. That's not a true statement. In fact, words have huge power. In life, our words can bless people or they can curse people. Now, go back over to Ephesians chapter 4 and then we'll look at Colossians 3. I just want to point out some manifestations of, of actually the words and how they're used uh, in these texts, how, how it reveals sinful anger. Then we'll get to the solutions. Look at Ephesians 4.31. It says, and Ephesians 4.31 is what we want to put off. Ephesians 4.32 is what we want to put on. And we want to do it because we see up in verse 23, we've been renewed in the spirit of our minds. God's work through the spirit and the word is what changes us. And as the heart is changed, the outside change, these work together at the same time. A lot of times people will say, well, you got to have heart change before you can actually have outward change. And I would go, it's actually, it, it's actually true. The heart motivates the outside, but sometimes you can, you can start working on the outside and see how it actually can even influence the inside. Ultimately, when the inside is changed, there is long-term outside change, but both are at the same time. Verse 31, let all bitterness and anger, we talked about that last week, then we go to verse 31, and wrath. That word wrath has the idea of explosion. In one, it was really interesting, in one Greek dictionary, it said this phrase, dual nostril flare, right? You ever been like angry and it's kind of like... You know what I'm talking about? We're like dual nostril flare. I thought that was really interesting for this Greek word for wrath right here. But this word has, it's comparing, it's contrasting with the word anger here in this text. And this idea of wrath is you're exploding. You're now, you're now going into rage. You're trying to accomplish your will by how you're manifesting that anger in, a mo- in the moment. After that, it says shouting, uh, shouting. Now, it's interesting. The Greek word used here is the same word we get for blasphemy. Now, it's interesting. In some of your versions, it might say the word slander, right? Instead of shouting or clamor. might use that instead. 
But the Greek word there is, 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 is actually that, that word shouting. Actually, wait a minute. I just told you wrong, right? Can I back up? Can I erase 10 seconds? The Greek word for slander is actually blasphemy. The Greek word shouting is actually a, a word called Craig. Don't worry about that word. Doesn't even sound anything. But here's what it means. It means shouting, screaming with this increased volume to get your way, right? Screaming and shouting with increasing volume to get your way. So when it says this word shouting um, or clamor, and some of your other versions may say that, that means that you're raising your voice trying to accomplish your will. You ever done that before? That's sinful anger. In fact, if you ever want to wonder, like, am I crossing over the line here? If you start raising that voice, that tells you something's going on. Now, that doesn't mean you can't speak clearly, can't speak towards sin. And that doesn't mean that all of us loud people by nature, amen, right here, that means that we're always angry when we speak. No, I'm just loud. I mean, you're always going to hear me from a mile away. But there is this thing when you're in conversation, when you're fighting for your power, that you'll start to raise your voice. That's the shouting clamor. That's a manifestation of sinful anger. If when you're talking with someone and there's a disagreement and you start to elevate your volume so that you can drown them out and hopefully there's this idea of if I just speak louder, I'll just scare them and overpower them in such a way that my will will be accomplished, we're now walked into sinful anger. Keep looking. Now, back to where I was correcting, that word slander is the word blasphemy. Now, it's interesting, in the Bible, when that Greek word blasphemy is used, it typically just translated blasphemy. Like, when it's towards God, it's just called blasphemy. When it's towards man, the translators often don't use the word blasphemy, although it's the same Greek word, they use the word slander to kind of denote there is a difference between blaspheming God and man, but when we slander man, when we say, when we do slanderous kind of things towards men, we're actually, according to James chapter 3, verse 9, we're also actually blaspheming God. That's why you don't make fun of people made in God's image. Because when we make fun of people, we're actually making fun of image bearers. We're actually making fun of God when we make fun of people. But in fact, when we decide to slander people, this idea of slander, blasphemy means that we disrespect, we insult them, we try to cut down their character, we cut them down enough that we'll finally get our way. That's actually a blasphemy towards God. Not only is that, but it's, it's slander towards them. We'll accuse their character. So, wrath, shouting, slander, doing everything we can cut and insult them. You can know this, that when you're in some kind of discussion, or I'm going to say argument, if you start to constantly kind of go back into the file drawer of stuff that we may have said we've forgiven, right? And we start going, this is just like which you did this time. And we pull it out and start to impugn their character by stuff that we've said we've forgiven them. We're walking in towards slander. Or we use words that actually are inaccurate, not even true. For instance, you ever been in an argument and you use this word? You always. You never. Anybody know that word, right? Right? Like, you've never. You always. We're lying in the moment and imputing their character towards something that's actually not true. I'm sure there have been in that argument, one time where that other person has actually done something well towards you. So we have this idea of slandering. We're cutting their character. By the way, you can also see slander manifest itself is that when you walk away from the actual argument, you'll call a friend 
and then start cutting and insulting and blaspheming them, presenting your case of your righteousness. That's called slander. It says, all this should be put away from you. Put this off along with all the word malice. Now that word malice has the idea of wicked intent to bring harm. It means you're bent on doing harm towards others. Now, go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. So that's manifestations of sinful anger. And notice how much it has to do with the tongue. The tongue reveals the heart so well in the scriptures. Now go to Colossians chapter 3 verse 8. We see, we see him mentioning the same things. Chapter 3 verse 8. Now, but now also you should lay this aside. Wrath, anger, that was in the former one. Malice, slander, that was in Colossians 4. He doesn't use the word for, for speaking loud, the word clamor, but he does use another word, and it's translated abusive speech from your mouth. Okay. Now, depending on the version that you have, if you have a NIV, it, might, it would say the word filthy language. If you have an ESV, it says obscene talk. If you have an NASB, it says obscene talk. But at NASB 95, actually, the translators use the word abusive speech. Now, there's a, now, both are actually good words to use or good translations, whether it uses the word filthy language, dirty, obscene, filthy communication, like in your King James, obscene. But, so both are, are within the definition for the Greek word used there. But what's interesting is, in, by the way, all of us, a lot of you have like Greek dictionaries and stuff on your phones and all. You've got Blue Letter Bible and all this kind of stuff. You can't actually just pick any definition. The definition has to fit the context, right? So what's interesting is when you get here in verse 8, the context of, of verse 8 is really talking about sinful manifestations of anger, not really crude and immoral kind of speaking. Now, other parts of Scripture, we, we'll dis- that can be discussed. So right here, actually in my, my Legacy Standard Bible and in a NASB 95, you're going to see it say the word abusive speech from your mouth, which is very interesting. Abusive speech from your mouth. So what is the meaning here? It's this idea of foul-mouthed abuse, right? It's, a, it's that you've, with our words, we've gotten to the place that we are trying to be abrasive with our words. Abrasive in such a way that we will do whatever it takes to accomplish our will. We will do it over and over and over. That, that's why I think the Greek word used here, that the LSB and the NASB 95, they decide to use abusive speech instead of filthy speech like the King James or NIV because the, the context here really lends itself more to the shade of that definition. Which is this. Do you know that, that we can actually abuse with our speech? Although it's a different Greek word, we're not going to look at it. 1 Corinthians 6.10 actually talks about a reviler, right? A reviler is someone that does abusive speech. How do you know when you're doing abusive speech? It's that you are trying to accomplish your will from your speech. And you are willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish that. You will slander a person. You will yell at a person. You will explode. You will scare them with your words. You'll do whatever you can. But you are trying to accomplish power in your will through the words that you use. That's that kind of abusive speech. Now, don't think over here this morning and go, well, I know someone like that. First part we, also, we always got to do is, who do we got to look towards first? Like our own self, right? So before you go analyzing someone else, actually, you know, point the finger towards self first. Look at the log in our own eye where we decide to take the 
toothpick out of someone else's eye. But I can tell you this. There are several men and women, it's equal opportunity, that the way they manifest sinful anger, they may have fits of rage, of wrath, malice, intent to do harm, slandering a person's character, but they have in a repeated manner trying to gain power in the upper hand by using abusive speech. And I would tell you, what's interesting in this text, when you consider it even wider, this is actually describing ways that God's people don't ask. This is actually describing what heathens do. Keep looking at chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Now that you also lay aside these wrath, anger, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Verse 9, Do not lie one to another, which I just think is interesting. Have you ever noticed when we are manifesting sinful anger, there's a lot of lying that goes on, right? Remember that phrase I told you earlier? You always. You ever notice in we're arguing, trying to prove our point. We'll say you always, which is not actually really true. It's just lying, right? But we think it's okay in the moment because we're just really focused on getting our own kingdom accomplished. He says, don't lie one to another since you have put off the old man with its evil what? So it's describing what you were before Christ. So just so we can bring this down. Manifestation of overt sinful anger, wrath, yelling, Clamor. I mean, all the things we've been talking about, Ephesians 4.31, Colossians 3.8. That's not normal for a Christian. Let me say that again. That's not normal for a Christian. That's not to be a part. It's, it's not to be like, oh, you know, there's just one part of me that's not been redeemed yet, so God's okay with it. At least I'm not cheating on my spouse. At least I'm tithing. God's okay with it, right? You know, at least I didn't kick the dog. God's okay with that. But, you know, like, let's keep going. I was kidding. You get it? Like, no, actually, this is indicative of what people outside of Christ, the old man, would look like. Now, keep looking at verse 10. But you have put on the new man who is being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one that created him. If you're kind of like, man, I can't get a hold of my mouth, Nick, Nick, Everything you're talking about this morning, that's me. I can't get control of it. Let me just propose a solution. You might not belong to Jesus. I'm not saying if you've ever had civil anger, you don't belong to Jesus. But I'm saying this. If it's over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and there's been no... I mean, like, in the Christian life, there's never perfection. It's often three steps forward, one step back, right? Three steps forward, one step back. You'll make progress. You'll... you'll you make progress. So the Bible talks all about sanctification. The Bible talks about the process of repentance, right? The Bible talks about the struggle of being double-minded. So don't think that we're talking about perfection. What I'm saying is this. If a person consistently with no repentance, no change, no victory, over and over and over and over, I think that person needs to take a step back and ask themselves, is Jesus truly my Lord and King? Or... Is my Christianity really just based off of I attended church for a long time? You may have been baptized at five years old. It, but is, is there a genuine faith and repentance that reveals itself that Jesus is my Savior and Lord? I do think sometimes we've got to take a step back and ask ourselves, do we truly belong to him? Because this is not behavior becoming of those who are being transformed into his image. Now let me give you the other good news. If people in Christ can struggle with this, but the more we grow in Christ, we struggle less and less and less and less. Verse 11. It says, there's a renewal in which there is no distinction between 
Greek and Jew. Look at verse 12. Now here's the put on. So we've, we've talked about the wrath, the malice, the slander, the abusive speech, the clamor. And then it says this is the solution, verse 12. So as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So the solution, right, if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you've got to get Jesus first, right? But if you're in Christ, how do we, what do we do when the idea of fits of rage actually come up? We practice verse 12. We practice compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, a lot of times when a person is doing sinful, overt sinfulness, when they're just like letting their anger rage, they're being impatient because they want their kingdom and they want it right now, right? But actually the Bible commends patience. Look in verse 13. Bearing with one another, graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. You know, the, the, the answer is once again forgiveness. You know, a lot of times we're angry with people because we're bitter towards them. That, that inward bitterness actually makes its way to the outside pretty easy. We're just bitter towards people. We're unforgiving. How do you know you're forgiving towards somebody? I'll tell you. You're forgiving towards someone, we are, when we're no longer bringing up what they've done to us in our mind. And if it does come up, we're not stewing over it, right? We're not going around talking to everybody about how someone hurt us in the past. That's unforgiveness as we are stewing over what they've done and we are continuing to replay it in such a way you'll see it manifest itself in the people you talk to. You'll even see it manifest in the person that you had told you've forgiven them. Which means the next time you talk to them, you're going to pull open the file cabinet and start pulling things out. This, this, kind of, this kind of unforgiveness is what leads itself towards all this. It leads itself towards the symbol covert and the symbol overt of anger. It leads to explosion, venting, blowing up at people, walking out. It leads to raising a fist, cursing at people, slapping at people, threats. Even this, you can see this all the time, especially in marriage. This is what I love about marriage. Marriage is a great institution, right? Great institution. I love it. Um, Because here's the the thing about marriage. Most people got into marriage thinking it was going to be this opportunity to have all the happiness they want in life. And what they quickly discovered is their own sin of their deceitful heart actually got confronted. And marriage is actually a place of holiness, right? Marriage actually is one institution that will make you holy because it will confront you with your own sin. I have people all the time will say, man, I, there's no problem in my marriage. It's not, it's not me because before I ever got married, I, had, I didn't have a problem with anybody at work. I didn't have a problem with anybody in life. Everybody got along with me. Everybody liked me. And my, you know, the reason is because you weren't put in an environment where you could ever be squeezed, where an idol could be messed with. But when you start, when you're married, you're living with somebody and you're under the same roof. And man, idols get messed with pretty quick and pretty easy. And it's a great process because it won't, be, it won't be all that God wants it to be without a lot of faith and repentance and forgiveness. And what happens is this. People aren't going back to the cross, letting that be. They aren't valuing, in verse 13, what God has done. They're stewing over and over and over about what, some, what our, my spouse has done to me. And you can see this all the time, especially you see threats, right? Like threats of, of we should separate or we should divorce. You know that if you're married... 
that word of separation, divorce, I would encourage you today, repent, erase that word from your vocabulary. Now, let me say, there are biblical reasons for divorce. That's another topic. But what I find a lot of people do is they get in some kind of disagreement, and what's the first thing they do? We should just divorce. We should just separate. I would tell you, that that actually reveals the heart. So we see the way that God wants us to approach this. He wants us, in verse 12, to put on the heart of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with that person. Forgive them as Christ has forgiven us. Keep looking in Colossians 3. I want to show you a couple things. Above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You want to actually fight against a bitter heart? Practice thankfulness, right? By the way, do you know that like the meaning of like the communion, one of the meanings is thankfulness. That's actually, they call it the Eucharist. That's what it actually is. It's thankfulness. You know a thankful person is actually less prone to being a bitter person? A thankful person and in fact, when you're kind of in that point where you're like, you know what, what they've done to me, Nick, I, I, it just keeps coming up. I mean, I'm driving along, my thoughts are kind of exploring things, and what they've done to me kind of comes up to me. How do I, what do I do? Thankfulness in that moment. And that moment, actually, practice thankfulness for the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus that's forgiven you of your sin. Practice thankfulness. Take a big look at your own sin and practice thankfulness that you've been forgiven. I, I'm telling you, this can be fought against. It says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. The person who struggles with bitterness the most and unforgiveness the most and civil anger the most will be people who are not meditating on the word of Christ, are not meditating on who Christ is, are not meditating on the truth of scriptures, are not in such a way that, it's, it, that they're not singing to themselves. They're not rehearsing what God is doing. Verse 17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And a thankful, a thankful heart. Now go back over to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to show you even some more answers. Verse 32, it says this. Some more solutions. Be kind one to another. Verse 32. You want to combat sinful anger in verse 31? Practice verse 32, just being kind. You know, a lot of times people will go, well... I was kind to them. You know, a lot of times we're only kind to people who are kind to us. But it's totally different when we're kind to someone who is unkind to us. This is how we fight it in verse 32. Being tenderhearted, which means instead of actually looking at your kingdom, try to understand why the person was acting the way they were. Verse 32, graciously forgiving each other just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. We saw it last week that Jesus says, if you're not forgiving of others, I won't be forgiving of you. That's not talking about what we would talk about justification forgiveness. That's family forgiveness. Meaning that the most distant God will be from us is when we are more unforgiving from the heart towards others. And this anger and rage that dominates God's people at times, you can track it right back to the work of the gospel has not meditated, has not brought in in your soul. Now, do this. Go over to Matthew chapter 12. Let's look at... So, I've kind of shared with you some outward kind of... um, Some outward looks at the solution. uh, Some of the solutions to do. Where 
kindness, tenderheartedness, that we practice patience, that we practice um, actual the forgiveness, that these are things that we do to combat sinful anger. So it's not this thing of like, don't be angry, Nick, don't be angry, don't be angry. It's like, no, actually practice forgiveness and you won't be angry, right? Now, sometimes at this point people would go, okay, I get it, but man, sometimes I don't feel motivated to do that. I just don't feel motivated to do that. Anybody ever like that? I mean, come on, right? I'm just not motivated to do that. I love what this text says to us in Matthew chapter 12. That's because there's, there's a heart that's not right with the Lord. Look in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, Jesus says to the self-righteous religious Jews, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of which fills the heart. So Jesus says, like, what's in the heart reveals itself in the mouth. A good man brings out of the good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of the evil treasure what is evil. So I would tell you, just here's the heart of the matter. These things that God has called us to do, if you are in Christ, you are a new man, you have a new heart, the most normal thing for you to do is to do Ephesians 4.32, do Colossians 3. 12 through 15. That's the most normal thing. If it's not normal, my challenge would be a good man out of the good treasure of his heart. There might be a deal of you might not actually be saved. You might actually, Jesus may not be your Lord and do a strong evaluation. I'm not saying if you ever ever sinned, you're not saved, but I am saying this, that a person who is saved will progressively experience growth in God. We call it sanctification, the process of sanctification. You're setting your life apart from sin and unto God. And there's a progression of that. Friends, I would tell you, if you cannot see a progression of that through the years, there's no such thing as losing your salvation, but there is a such thing as fooling yourself into thinking that you actually do belong to him. And if you want a great test, look at the mouth, look at anger, look at what comes out. Is there a progression and growth in that? Now, it's interesting, for all, all of us that are Christians, and I would say not Christians, you know what we think sometimes? That God just kind of winks the eye when we do kind of get out of control, right? That God just kind of like, oh, bless Nick. He didn't have enough sleep last night, you know, or man, he's got a lot going on. Man, bless him. He kind of blew his top. He said some things that were wrong. Man, bless his heart, you know. He's a good guy. We won't hold that against him, Right? Anybody ever think that way, right? I mean, about me, right? Come on. Okay. <laughs> Verse 36 and 37 is so sobering to our soul. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it on the day of judgment. For by your words will you be justified, and by your words will you be condemned. A lot of debate over what that means. But there has been this teaching in the church, especially maybe one of the more Baptistic world, which is probably more most of us have kind of come from, especially myself, that, that I used to teach years ago based on what 1 Corinthians says about that when Christians got to the judgment, the mercy seat judgment of God, that's where Christians go, is that our sins won't be on display because that's all been forgiven by the Lord. We won't be condemned for those. Now, we'll have reward... Right, And it will be tried by fire, and what remains is what will be rewarded on. I still believe that's true. But I used to teach this idea of 
things that we've said that, that there will be no accountability for it. And I would go, I don't know if that's really true according to Scripture. I would say this. When I get before the judgment seat of, of, of Jesus, the mercy seat judgment, if I'm in Christ, I will not be condemned for my sins. Get it? I will not be condemned for my sins. But if there has been a lack of repentance, if there has been places and spaces in my life that have not been known yet, it doesn't seem off kilter, according to even this text, that there may not be um, uh, a reckoning. That doesn't mean I'm going to be condemned, but it does mean this, verse 36. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting on the day of judgment. So meaning this, husbands, it is important what you say to your wife and your kids. Like neighbor, it's important what, like the careless words, we'll give an account. I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm talking about that when we get before a holy God, there may be an accounting, not a condemnation, but there may be a loss of reward for the things that we've said, which, which I'm just telling you, that's why the Bible is so strong when it comes to the way we use our words. So there's a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem. Does anybody know Wayne Grudem? You ever heard of a guy, Wayne Grudem, right? Great theologian. So it's interesting. Years ago, in, in his earlier version of systematic theology, on this passage of Scripture, actually, I'm sorry, not this passage, just in, when he was talking about 1 Corinthians, Wayne Grudem said in, in, in his systematic theology book, in the very beginning, first edition, he said that Christians will have, there'll never be a sin brought up at God's mercy seat judgment, um, and that because everything's been forgiven, there'll be no condemnation, but there'll be no bringing up of anything, um, all it's going to be is a testing of do you lose reward for the things you've been done with the right motivation, right? And that's the, the, the issue in 1 Corinthians of the wood, hay, and stubble. Years later, in the same section, he changed it, and he said, no, actually, actually at the mercy seat judgment of Christ, it's true, what you've done for the Lord will be judged and tried by fire, and um, what, what stands and remains, you'll receive reward for. But the Bible seems to indicate and, and he quotes this text, Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 12, 36 through 37, that there, although there won't be a condemnation for those in Christ, there will be an understanding of accountability for the careless words. We'll see, we'll see the ultimate gospel will, will cover it, prevail, but there, there will be a losing of reward. The carelessness of words will be brought into question. And it fascinated me. I was like, why did Wayne Groom change his mind? So I looked up his email address. I typed him an email and was like, Wayne Grudem, why did you change your mind? At least portions of scripture. And actually, the, re- the response was actually pretty humbling. And so it took like a month or two for, to get a, an email response. I actually thought I'd never hear back. Like, you know, Wayne Grudem has better things in life than to answer me. Um, but actually, one of his assistants answered the email back. And the assistant basically said, I still have the email. Um, so I can forward it to you. Where basically the assistant says, that, like, you know, I talked to Wayne uh, talked to Grudem, and basically he changed it because his students pointed it out to him, and he reconsidered his position, and therefore that's why he came to that conclusion. Which I actually thought was pretty humble that a Ph.D. professor is listening to his students who are saying, hey, man, there's some inconsistencies. But what it did bring to me in that moment, a soberness to my soul. It was like, uh-oh, the things that I say actually do matter. It's not okay to be cavalier, because I will answer for that. So I would say this. The way we use our words in verse 36 and 37, the accountability 
it actually tracks right back to verse 33 through 35 is it's a reflection of the heart. That's what I love about the mouth. The mouth is strong, right, in James chapter 3. It's hard to control. But actually, it's also super revealing, isn't it? It lets you know where your heart's at, where your life's at. And this is why I love coming together and gathering with the body. Because every week, we talk about the work of Christ, and then we take communion. Even when we take communion, that's a chance to revisit the good news of the gospel. So, you know what, what, what should motivate us to not walk in sinful anger of these, co- these overt things? Is that there is nothing I need to say to somebody that Jesus hadn't said better to me. There is nothing that anybody has done to me that, can, that should be able to cause bitterness that I'm going to lash out and slander and wrath and malice. I have, I have done enough wrong things to Christ. There is nothing that anybody has done to me that's bigger than what I've done to the Lord. And as a result of that work of the gospel of, man, I didn't deserve this. You know, most people think they deserve salvation. You get that, right? But, but let me just be honest. Here's how it really works. Every one of us in this room, we are all running off the cliff, jumping off the cliff into hell. I mean, I'm telling you, we may be thinking this idea of, well, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm telling you, at 43, seeing the deception of my own soul, I'm pretty sure if I would have been there, I would have elbowed Eve, right? Just to get to that fruit before her. Just be like, no, that's mine. I mean, that's how drawn. If you don't think you're that drawn, I don't think you've taken a look at how holy God is. Now, listen, we can think great things about our stuff when we compare ourselves to other people. I mean, like if I compare myself to Ben, man, I'm, I'm, I'm way ahead, right? I mean, like, you know, doing good. But I compare, sitting on the front, man, sorry. But if I compare myself to Jesus, compared to God's holy nature, totally different. I can forgive. I can extend grace. It's not about my kingdom. It's about his kingdom. And therefore, wrath, malice, uh, clamor, like yelling, slander, accusing a person's character, abusive speech, doesn't have to be a part of my life. Because greater is he that's in me than he's in the world. Greater is this new man in Jesus. If you stand together, I want to pray. I want to sing to the Lord a great gospel song. Consider these things. Can I pray for us? I want to pray if there's some here because I, more than likely there's some here that are not in Christ. And it is revealed through your own sinful anger and how it manifests with no repentance. How it manifests so easily. And there's been no conviction in your life. I also want to pray for us as God's people that we would not let this kind of sin be once named among us. I just want to pray. Can we go to the Lord? Father, we need your help. Although we didn't get to look at it, Ephesians 5 clearly lets us know that these kind of sins aren't to be once named among us. This isn't, this isn't normal for us to display sinful anger, to exalt ourselves. So God, what, what forgiveness needs to happen from the heart? What renewal in the spirit needs to happen? What new submission to the word of God for God's people needs to happen? Would you do it as we sing, as we test, as we edify, as we take communion, as we 
consider what we've talked about. But right now, there may be some here that you have shown them through their own lack of repentance or even the ability to repent of sinful anger or is it the exaltation of self that they need Jesus, that today they need Christ. You You have called them to yourself. So today, may this be their day. May they follow you in believer's baptism. May they tell somebody today. May they, may they call out to you and, and trust you and ask you for salvation. Well, I'd do it for that person. And for the rest of us, we'll praise you in our, the rest of our time as God's gathered people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. Then we'll set up for our meal, take communion. And listen, if, if Christ is not yours, will you talk to somebody today? Let us point you to the good news of Jesus. Let's sing together, could we?